Welcome to Watershed's March podcast. My name is Mark Cosgrove and I'm the cinema curator here at Watershed. This month sees the start of Filmic, which is our annual celebration of the creative connections across film and music, and it's presented in partnership with St George's and Colston Hall, two create music venues in Bristol, and us here at Watershed screening the films. I'm delighted that I'm joined uh, this month for the podcast by film journalist Sean Wilson. Welcome, Sean. Thank you, Mark. Um, Sean's area of specialism is on uh, film music and scoring, and we're going to look at some of the films um, that are coming up and some of the strands in Filmic and just talk about... I mean, it's, it's, it's kind of stupid to say, Sean, as it were, that you know, music is, is, has always been and is really, really central to, to film. But yet we kind of... It tends to be in the background or it tends to be something that, that we don't really talk about so much as, you know, if you enjoyed the film, well, I like the characters, I like the plot, but, but music is absolutely inextricable. Because how often have you had the conversation with somebody where you, you point out the score to somebody in a film and then, and then all of a sudden it's like a light bulb goes off and they go, oh yeah, mm-hmm. the score did actually work very well in that film. But often you have to, like you say, you have to bring it to the front of the co- forefront of the conversation mm-hmm. to make people aware of that. But then some might say that is the essence of a great score. Well, I was going to say, I mean, how much should you be aware of it? There are... There are so many different ways that a film score can work I and mean, going right the way back to, obviously, to the early days of silent cinema where the music was performed in, in conjunction with the, with the picture and then it's being carried forward from there. But there are so many different facets. My personal point of view is that a film score shouldn't be afraid of carrying the emotional impact of the narrative. It shouldn't be afraid of being foregrounded, obviously depending on whether that's necessary for the film or not. But I think there's there's one particular thing that uh, Jerry Goldsmith, who's my favorite film composer of all time, who sadly passed away in 2004, he said to a, a group of um, film school students to whom he was lecturing, uh, you're presented with a um, sequence with a man on horseback being chased by several other people on horseback. He said, you don't score the chase, you score the fear of the rider. Mm. You get that underlying emotional truth. You don't score the picture, you score what the audience isn't seeing. Mm. And I think that, to me, I think is the essence of what a great film score should do. I I was just thinking there of um, the score to Psycho uh, and Bernard Herrmann um, and his partnership with Hitchcock, which which, um, Herrmann would say, you know, the the music's 50% of the film. Yeah. The, the image, the moving image is the other 50%, the music's the, <laughs> the, the, the 50%. But it, it, what you said, Jerry, Jerry Goldsmith, is, is, is similar to Herman talking about um, when Marion Crane's driving in, in Psycho, she's stolen the money, she's got... And the music just... You, you almost see inside her mind through the music. But you're not, you're not, you don't think about the music. You, you're thinking about... Oh, she's she's worried about something. She's you know so all the emotions, all all Janet Lee is an act, actor is doing. I mean, I say all with due respect, but you know what what she is doing is she's looking, she's driving. Yeah. But it's the music that that really makes you sort of and then fear for her what's going to happen. Well, yeah, because you take the music out of that particular sequence and all you're left with is someone driving a car in a rainstorm mm. and you think. Janet Lee's facial reactions obviously tell an awful lot in conjunction with the, the voices that, that she's imagining the conversation that's going on back at her workplace. But yeah, you, the, the music for Psycho, I think, does a really clever thing of like, 
it's it's very threatening right from the very start but of course you don't know until midway through that there's going to be this dramatic shift in the narratives the way that the music cleverly foreshadows like yeah. you but say you feel it you feel yes it. exactly the, yeah. yeah and and you, you you're wondering why why is this music working on my anxiety from so early on from before the, the shower sequence yeah. and yet it's sort of it's a it's a score that you revisit in hindsight and you think oh that was yeah. the game that herman was playing yeah brilliantly because you think that Hitchcock originally didn't want music in the shower scene. I know, it's a, it's, a great, it's a great story, that. <laughs> it, it, yeah, it's, it's and fantastic. And he went away and did it in secret, and then, and then Hitchcock raised his salary, which was unsurprisingly. Well, I, I, the story goes that, that um, Hitchcock was having trouble with the edit, and Herman said to him, look, just go on holiday, and just, I'll do some music, and, yeah. you know, with the whole film. And Hitchcock said to him, um, OK, great, um, but the, the one thing, one caveat, the shower scene has to be silent, and Herman said to him, "Look, just go on holiday, Hitch. Yeah. You know, just um, and of course, famously, he, he, and as you say, I think Hitch, he got back right, watched the film, um, and I think Hitchcock at the end turned to him and said, um, "You didn't listen to me, did you?" <laughs> but he obviously knew that. Yeah. And it, but it is interesting to think about. You don't. You do not think about that. Um, you can't think about that sequence without the music. No. It's, I think it's to do with, obviously there, there is the sequence of spotting a film as well, which is the process of where the music actually comes into each individual scene. The interesting thing is with that scene, the music actually starts as the shower curtain is pulled back. It's not when the knife starts to go in. No, not exactly. The, the shower pulling it starts the... Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it like inaugurates what's going to come. So yeah. it, it, it tells the audience what's going to happen before yeah. it happens. Again, going back to what yeah. I was saying with Jerry Goldsmith, it, it gets at the emotional yeah. truth of what's happening under the scene. Yeah. Well, um, talking about Bernard Herrmann, we're actually not screening Cycle <laughs> as, part of, as part of Filmic, but as part of Filmic this year, we've got two strands uh, running, which is the, the sound of sci-fi uh, and the, the sound of suspense. And as we were saying about Bernard Herrmann, he's so linked with the master of suspense although he was never yeah. limited, just he's known for the relationship with Hitchcock, but actually he did an amazing um, range of work, Bernard Herrmann. But um, I thought we'd listen to um, a bit of Vertigo. I mean, that's one of the films that, that, choice, yeah. that we're going to be screening. And it, it, was, it was never... When it was first released, it wasn't... Um, uh, it wasn't perceived as a classic by any stretch. It was perceived as a kind of, this is really weird. Um, but it's now been reappraised and it regularly hits people's top, um, you know, top films. We'll just have a listen to, to the score to Vertigo um, and have a chat about that. The interesting exercise would be to play that to people that don't know the film. Yes, and just say, "What do you think's? What do you think the film's about?" Yes, because there's you got those very those sort of arpeggiated cyclical strings going on in the background, which gives you that really palpable sense that you're being sucked into a vortex and you're being taken down the rabbit hole. And you got those brass 
chords as well, which tell you that, okay, being sucked into this vortex isn't necessarily going to be... It's not going to be a good, really good, be a good thing, is it? <laughs> exactly, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And it's not going to have good implications for um, James Stewart's uh, character, Scotty, either. Yeah. But I think that the thing is with the Vertigo score, it's, it's, in, it's, well, it's a masterpiece. It's one of Bernard Herrmann's best, but it, it's, it's very beautiful. Mm. And it has got that air of very tragic melancholy to it. There's precisely a melancholy. I mean, you, you feel there's so much um, emotion going on in that score, which of course links with the the emotions that Jimmy Stewart's uh, going to go through in, yeah. the, in the film. Because like you got the transformation sequence with Kim Novak later on, which is scored in that deliberately sort of um, melodramatic, lush style and you think listening to it it's 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 in a it's in a major key and you think oh so i could be listening to a the the, the reunion between two lovers but the, the 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 application of the score in the film is incredibly disturbing because of what you're watching he's basically resurrected the, the ghost of this mm. of, of this mm. dead woman and the music mm. therefore complicates our emotions mm. brilliantly which again i think that's that's the essence of what mm. a truly great film score should be. and that's the essence of what i think of a great collaboration between a director mm. and a composer mm. in in um it is called the sound of suspense and you really do feel the suspense i think in in herman's music there yeah there's a quality to it that's that you, you, you you're not going to see a comedy um, when that, when that, when you that music up, you, you, you yeah, do you immediately yeah. says, yep. the, the the other films that were screening in the in this strand is um don't look now scored by Pino Donaggio. yes yeah that's a lovely score that's beautiful and i was i was reading and i hadn't i hadn't realized um this is Pino Donaggio's first Film score. That's his first score. I didn't. I didn't. Yeah. I seemed he'd done things before. No, that. it was his oh, wow. first. He was a musician. Yeah. Um, and apparently, um, as I delved into it, of course, um, "Don't Look Now" is Nick Rogue's um, fantastic, yeah. sort of um, supernatural erotic thriller set in Venice with Donald Sutherland and Julie Christie, who've tragically lost a daughter, but th he thinks he's seeing his daughter in the Venice, and of course, it, but adapted from Daphne du Maurier. I mean, extraordinary film, but yeah, with, with look, looking at it again with the music, um, it was it was his first score, and not only that, but he was he 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 was a singer, and I think he was singing on one of the gondolas or one of the boats, and the producer heard them and got him involved, realised he did some, and Nick Rogue sort of took a chance on him, and and that was he's then gone on to do. An amazing body of work. Yeah, with with Brian De Palma. I mean, you can hear the seeds of what he eventually did with Brian De Palma and the likes of Carrie in the Don't mm. Look Now score. That that's fascinating. I didn't know that story. And again, Pino Donaggio gives that that film a whole other emotional meaning because the score is very mournful and very sad. Obviously, mm. the implications of it. But then slowly it starts to darken, and you think, okay, what is the music telling me about where Donald Sutherland's character is going? And then, of course, mm. it builds to that very shocking. End game at the end. Mm. That, that's a really underrated score. Actually, I don't think that score gets gets as much no, love no, as it should no. do. So let, let's have a listen to um, to the score then from Pino Donaggio's um, from Don't Look Now. Actually, <laughs> <laughs> that's the interesting thing, because it? it's 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 romantic and it's melodic. You think that the, the the film 
you think is it's, it's got a very creepy, like decaying air to it being set mm-hmm. in Venice, yet it also gets the romance between the two central characters, which is again at the heart of the story. It's a story mm-hmm. about a fraying marriage. Mm-hmm. So it's not just about the death of the daughter and the possible supernatural. Pino Donaggio burrows to the heart of the film and he understands what the film is fundamentally about. Obviously, again, a film score will also only truly work if the director understands what his vision of the score is. The, the director and the composer have to work absolutely cap in hand together. And I think that's an example of, of that working. Because it's, it is hinting at, again, there's a bit of a lament in mm. there as well. So it's not a kind of, everything's not happy although there's a, an elegance to it, um, which, as you say, it's, it's about the relationship between the two main characters, uh, and uh, there's a sort of... Uh, it's almost it's like... It's the loss. It's the loss. Yes. The, both, both the physical loss, but also the, the loss of their emotion. Yeah, it's almost like... There's almost like a, a disharmonious quality to it, isn't there? The way that, that it undulates and, and, and rolls around and it never quite comes to fruition in the way that you, that you think a traditional romantic theme which mm. I think that's a brilliant score, it's mm. lovely uh, And just as, I, as we were saying earlier he, he um, did go on from that first score um, to, to you see what with Brian De Palma and give up his his career singing yeah. uh, on the gondolas <laughs> of, of uh, Venice Off to Hollywood, yeah oh, Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, the, the other films in the Sound of Suspense are um, Sorcerer, the the um, great Angerine Dream score to the absolute nail-biting uh, William Friedkin adaptation of Wages of Fear. Fantastic. And yeah. then Christopher Nolan's Inception, uh, which um, you know his his collaboration with Hans Zimmer again has sort of got comparisons with Hitchcock and Herman in a way because it's a a, a director that finds sympathical with a. a um, a composer, and what what struck me about Inception is um, the way in which the music, a bit like Vertigo, sort of emotionally leads you through the very complex layers of Inception. Yeah, and I think that it's I personally speaking have got mixed emotions sometimes about how Nolan uses music in his films, but I think Inception is one of the rare instances where Zimmer is actually allowed to carry. The narrative, especially you think of the end sequence where it's the music, like you say, the music mm. is telling you what's going on. The music mm. is telling you that somehow time has shifted, that we've mm. gone through the wormhole and then out, out the other side. And that, that's a really powerful, mm. powerful sequence and a very powerful mm. score, actually. Yeah. The sound of suspense um, that we're screening here is built around the showcase of two films that the Coast and Hall are doing. Um, which is uh, Jaws and Raiders of the Lost Ark, partnership, a uh, great partnership between director Spielberg um, and composer John Williams. And is it where you can, I mean, this, the, 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 the sound of suspense is so memorable. Uh, we mentioned Psycho earlier, that very distinctive. But, I mean, Jaws, um, it, it, two notes yes. that, that caused, that put fear into <laughs> the heart of millions. And yet, the, and yet when the, the, the famous story is when Williams first played that Spielberg on the piano, Spielberg turns and went, you're joking, right? That won't work. <laughs> and then he went, no, 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 just let, let, let translate that into a full orchestra and you'll get the power of it. And then yeah. bow and the hold, that's exactly what happened. And then the music became the sound of the shark that didn't work on the set. Yeah. And it saved yeah. the film, or it really buoyed it, at least, to, to a yeah. great extent. Well, of course, extent. you don't see the shark for a good, you know, however long, an hour or so. Yes. But you, you feel its presence because of... Um, yeah. 
Be because of the, that score? And because when, when the music doesn't turn up during the underwater sequences, you know that the shark isn't present. And when it does turn up, it becomes its heartbeat. And it's mm. a really great intuitive way of signaling to the audience mm. whether they ought to be scared mm. or not. But there's so much else going on in the Jaws score as well. There's the sea shanty theme for Robert Shaw's character. There's the magnificent sequence where they hunt the shark for the first time. Mm. And you get that classic John Williams fortissimo action sequence where the camera comes swirling around the boat and then all of a sudden the entire tone of the score lifts up and it carries mm. you on this like swashbuckling so I think there's a lot of underrated facets to the Jaws score that sort of get but it's so sort of remembered for, 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 for the that, theme isn't yes it? exactly yeah yeah, yeah, yeah unsurprisingly yeah. so yeah and Raiders of the Lost Arts um, it's a different kind of score isn't it it seems seems to me to hark back to a classic Hollywood of the, the 50s. Yeah, because we were talking about uh, Miklos Rocha and Corn Gold, that very, the way that you used the horns and, and the other brass section in the main theme to create that very adventurous golden age sound that really flourished in, the, in Hollywood in the 30s and 40s. And of course that locates where Spielberg and Lucas were drawing the film from anyway, because they were drawing from the serial uh, movies of their childhood. And it shows that John Williams... It, they use that word simpatico that you used earlier. John Williams is so simpatico with the filmmakers that he works with, in particular Steven Spielberg. He understands exactly how to render texture in musical form. I think a lot of the things with me is that a lot of film composers are good musicians, but they're not good storytellers. John Williams is both. John Williams knows how to tell a story through music, and Raiders is just one of the most magnificent examples of that. I, I saw this show in, in London a couple of years ago and can't wait to sit again, and it just reinforced seeing it live being done with an orchestra just reinforces how important his music is to Spielberg's vision. It gets all the nuances, it gets, you know, action, humour, terror, romance. You know, he's a very it's a very frightening score in a lot of places mm. actually. It's mm. magnificent. Mm. And the the great thing about those two films that are on at Colston Hall is you're going to experience it with a live orchestra. Both Jaws and Raiders of the Lost Ark with live accompaniment are on at Colston Hall in April. If you go to the Colston Hall uh, website um, you'll find them listed there. The Sound of Suspense season runs in our Sunday brunch slot throughout March. Uh, you can find out more information on that at watershed.co.uk forward slash filmic hyphen 2018. There are other screenings and events happening with Filmic throughout March at St George's. The Hidden Orchestra and Limbic Cinema present a unique immersive sound and vision experience. Next month, I'll be joined by Sean again and we'll be talking about other part of the filmic strand, which is looking at the sound of sci-fi. So join us next month. Thank you. Thank you, Sean. Thank you very much. Thanks a lot.